0: And I'm next to a beetle. I'm on a yellow sofa next to a purple beetle. (laughs) It couldn't be any more wrong. When are we going back to remote recording? I think I've changed my mind. I don't think I could do it. Right, shall we start the
1: show? Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And here we are together in real life. In the same place. I'd like to say it's a total joy, but I might be changing my mind. Well, we'll get to that,
0: won't we? I mean, I'd like to say your house looks amazing, but I'm sitting on a yellow sofa, which I'm finding quite (laughs) stressful. But before you talk to me about where this sofa came from, I would like to first of all say a huge thank you to listeners Fiona Wallace, Laura Roth-Rivera, Catherine Middleton, and everyone else who sent such nice messages about missing
1: the show. We're back! Yes, and here we are, having taken a little longer break than normal, but you'll be pleased to know that we are bursting with news about all the stuff that we have been up to we'll also be looking at flooring in our regular
0: style surgery plus sophie's builder husband will be back on the show by popular request with some easy eco tips to green up your home but first news so let me set the scene for you we are in sophie's living room The wood burner is burning merrily away. We'll talk about that later with the eco-husband. Sorry, the builder husband who's (laughs) gone eco. I'm sitting surrounded by 47 highly coloured cushions, on a yellow sofa and regular listeners will know how that's making me feel and I'm looking at Sophie on her chintzy floral sofa practically disappeared into a mound of cushions and then through the conservatory window behind me I see more cushions have you got enough cushions?
1: I've got too many cushions <gasps> I'm having a maximalist existential crisis I don't even know what that means well, I don't know I just want to get rid of everything I'm having a real and this happens to me at the changing of the season I have a little fit in spring and then I tend to have another one in autumn where I suddenly look at everything in my house and I want it all gone So the is uh, the Full of piles of stuff I've been putting it On Facebook Marketplace Couple of things on eBay Loads of stuff To the charity shop And everything Yeah I just want to Strip back So Recently, having spent my entire life thinking I was an extrovert, I did
0: one of those tests with all the long names and discovered that actually I'm an introvert who can act extrovert when need be. Are you actually a minimalist (laughs) masquerading as a maximalist? It's all a front. Is this the truth of it? Am I going to come back? Because it'll probably be, let's be honest, another six
1: months before I get back here, and it'll all be painted beige gray no not oh a God, cushion inside no no obviously that's not going to happen but i think I've been really busy all summer. I've been away from home a lot. I've been in a lot of grey and beige hotel rooms. Oh, there was this classic purple one with some silver sequin work I saw. There were some very choice hotel rooms up and down the land that I stayed in this summer. And none of that is giving me any interior inspiration. So, no, there's going to be no grey or beige coming to my house anytime (laughs) soon. But I think I've just got home, I've unpacked my suitcase, and I'm looking at my home. And like I said, it is a seasonal thing for me. This happens. And I just... I want to refresh, I want to strip back, I want to sort out, I want to get rid of stuff we don't use, my wardrobe needs going through, I did my son's bedroom at the weekend, I just want to streamline it and I'm really questioning in this living room, like the gallery wall with hundreds of pictures, the shelves laden with ornaments. Do it's I interesting really the gallery wall thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I know they have been very fashionable
0: in recent years, but I always think if you've got a small room or a low ceiling, I think you're much better off, as you've done on that wall over there, sort of one big picture, because gallery walls do make it feel cluttered well, and busy, even though they're lovely. Which is but, what
1: I like. I like the very cluttered look, and I like the fact that you can't really see any wall because there's so many paintings on the wall. I do like that look. But I don't know, it's all too busy. For my busy brain, like I need to detox, I need to de-stress, I need to breathe, I need to ground myself, and I need you to get You are some having stuff. an existential I crisis. Am. So
0: in one sentence you're saying, I need to calm everything out and have it clutter-free so I can rest my busy brain. And then the other half of
1: that sentence was, but I like having a really busy wall so I've got lots to look at. Well, I have traditionally liked a busy look, but right now I can't handle it. It's doing, this room really is doing my head interesting.
0: in. This, and this comes back to what we always talk about, doesn't it? Is It's you have to. It's not enough to just look at colours and patterns you like. You have to take a few more minutes to think about how they make you feel. And
1: the yellow sofa is actually really doing my head in as well. <laughs> and my yellow doors. Honestly, I'm having a crisis. So you what are. do we do? I've got the itch. She's got the itch. I've got the itch. And things need to go. I need to purge. And I think this is really important that we do this cyclical thing. Of reassessing, empty your kitchen drawers, get rid of the packets of food. You no, know, get rid of the chipotle barbecue sauce. I think you'll find it's but- chipotle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, chipotle! so my sons tell me. So my sons tell me they get really cross when I go past
1: the chipotle sauce. It's chipotle, mom. All right, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. I don't even know what it tastes like, let alone how to <laughs> say it, because it's been languishing in the back of my cupboards forever. I want to go through my cutlery drawer, get all my knives and forks in order. I'm just in. I'm in that headspace. You're nesting. I mean, Sophie Robinson is decluttering. We never thought we'd hear the words. So basically, currently, what am I up to? I'm up to tidying and clearing out. I
0: know you've you've very kindly (laughs) taken a break from the tidying to let us in to record the (laughs) podcast.
1: (laughs) So that's the headspace I'm in. But your house always looks immaculate and beautifully presented. I have to say so. Are there any changes afoot in the madhouse? It's funny, isn't it? Because I would not
0: lay claim to be a minimalist, but I have fewer cushions than you.
1: Yeah. We're
0: going to talk about my sofa?
1: <gasps> yes! Yes, yes, which you launched is it was it a Decorax? It was launched at DecorEx, so which was a few that, weeks ago. I missed was filming back to back. I've just missed everything. I've missed that's all, a hell of the fun, an all the fun, I'm so
0: sorry, darling. I couldn't come to your launch. I was filming television, I know. you know, back
1: to back. I've been that.
0: frightfully busy. I'm on the telly. Did you know?
1: There's <laughs> <laughs> a good enough reason to miss your launch, though, oh, all it? right. It's not
0: bad, as excuses go. I mean, it's better than, you know, tidying my son's sock drawer. I'll give you that. <laughs> But, but uh, yes, it's a sofa, so if you really hate this yellow sofa, then maybe you should have one of mine fully sustainable eco-sofas in here. Ooh. would look
1: quite nice, you well, know. Well, go on, tell me more, because I did see a little bit of it on Instagram, but I'm not fully across it. So I've
0: worked on and off with Love Your Home, the furniture sofa company, for years, and their owner, co-founder Lee Harmer, who was actually an interior designer before he went into furniture, rang me up. And this feels like a lifetime ago, before the pandemic. I mean, I think it was this time in 2019 and said, did I want to work with them on a sofa? And I was very clear that I didn't, want to do that thing where I just put my name to something and go, this is my design. I'm also very clear that he's a furniture designer and I'm not. So I was keen to do it, but I want to do it in a certain way. And that, for me, the way to do it was to make it the most eco-sofa that could exist.
1: What do you have to do to a sofa to make it the most eco-sofa? Well, it
0: would turned out it was mostly about the filling and materials. So, I mean, obviously now if you're buying a sofa, you're looking for FSC certified wood so that it's not deforesting and it's reliable wood. You want for a sofa that's going to last for a while, it needs to be a hardwood frame. And you can often tell that if you're buying a sofa And you pick up, for example, or try and lift the front corner, if the whole thing lifts with it and it's rigid, then it's a good hardwood frame. If you're finding that one corner lifts and the other doesn't and there's flex in it, then it's not going to be Mm -hmm. hardwood, won't last as long. So there was the issue of the frame. I then wanted the rest of it to be as sustainable and eco as possible. So we then immediately start looking at the filling and a lot of sofas have foam, which is obviously a byproduct of the petroleum industry. So that's not so good. So I said to Lee, are there any alternatives? And maybe we could have it upholstered um, with stainless steel springs. So that's a really firm sit, if you like, and and it's not going to collapse in the way that foam sofas will sag over time. And I wasn't sure about feathers because that gets you into the vegan thing. I wasn't necessarily aiming to make a vegan sofa, but I wanted to look very closely at the fillings. So Lee then went away and I said, oh, and I want it curved. Because that's just the shape I wanted. So he went away and worked on it and did lots of research and came back with this very simple, very slightly curved sofa. Because I'm aware that I live in a Victorian terrace, for example. They're narrow houses. So I didn't have room for a a massively curving sofa. sofa, You know, you would have room in this square sitting room for a crescent-shaped sofa, but I didn't. So it's got The FSC certified wood, the frame is guaranteed for life. It has stainless steel springs, which are recyclable, upholstering it, making it a firm seat. It's stuffed with coca which is a new kind of coconut fiber sustainable filling as well as second life foam chips so this is where something would have headed into landfill but it's been recovered before it gets that far and turned into chips so you can reuse it so that's the filling but the I was going to say the clever bit, but I'm talking about something I've done. So that sounds quite boastful. But <laughs> the the idea also is in the cover. So it has a fixed velvet cover, which is made out of recycled plastic bottles in Italy in a factory that's completely solar powered. And it has it's the first UK certification of this recycled velvet plastic bottle material and that cover is held in place by velcro we are looking for eco-friendly velcro that's the bit we haven't yet nailed but you know in a whole sofa there's these bits of velcro that hold the cover on you can then take that cover off and you can put over a loose cover made from cotton which is created from 80% offcuts from the fashion industry so you can change the cover with your mood with the seasons if you want to repaint your walls well, that
1: would suit me to a t oh, yeah there you go because you could just change I could have it my yellow sofa and i bet you i bet your sofa doesn't come in yellow Does it, have, it doesn't come in. it comes <laughs> in a color called toffee
0: um which is a sort which of brown well, well it's not chocolate brown. it's kind of toffee fudge color. Yeah, um, brown. the colors are quite <laughs> autumnal. Um, yeah. it's true. but so I'm having a color which we're calling red earth, which is a kind of deep pinky brown in velvets. And then in the summer I've got a plaster pink cotton cover or you might have a cream cotton cover there's an olive green velvet cover and an olive green cotton so you could have the same colors summer and winter or you can change it So a velvet
1: to a cotton that's a nice idea and you just buy the cover as an optional extra you can buy the cover as an optional extra
0: and of course because it's all made from recycled material you can just put it in the washing machine i mean if your washing machine is big enough obviously so
1: headlines are a sofa that's well made enough to last a lifetime. Yeah. That's the first thing I'm hearing, is you're buying to last. Yeah. Second of all, the ingredients yeah. are all from sustainable sources, yeah. from the FSC wood to the recyclable steel to your cocoa what's it, fiber yeah. and your chip foam. And then all the fabric options for the covers are also recycled from the yeah. fashion industry. So you and really thought through every single aspect. element. And I have seen, I've seen the photos of your curved sofa, but actually, even though curves are quite fashionable at the moment, I'd say it's quite a classic look. It, it isn't a shape that I think is going to date really quickly.
0: Well, that was also the point. The curve is very slight, but again, if we're saying this is a sofa you can have for a lifetime because you can, you know, change the covers with the seasons, you don't want something that's such an incredibly fashionable shape that you're bored with it in a year or two. So it is quite classic. It's not buttoned back. It's, you know, just smooth front and back. So the, the covers can change. And there are two armchairs that go with it as well if you want
1: so it's interesting that this is an exercise for a retailer like love your home do you think they're going to use a lot of the practices that they've well, explored they're, they're in the other using ranges? it
0: as a launch pad for a larger sustainable collection yeah. so this is just the start of it and they will obviously expand the colors and the materials so at the moment it's this kind of quite tight autumnal colors if you like because they're my sort of colors but that will expand as they go on and i expect you could now order different colours and they will look more into different designs and making them all more eco
1: wow amazing cool. well congratulations well thank you very much and maybe next
0: time you come you'll be able to sit on the one in my house I'm waiting oh, you're for waiting. And what mine colour to are be you made getting? I'm having this kind of deep pinky caramel don't quite it's called red earth but it's not quite as red as red earth a pinky brown it's a nice brown though yeah You'll like the brown. Okay. She won't like the brown. <laughs> <laughs> but you could choose any other colours. I uh, wasn't inundated with orders for eco sofas for uh, your new television show. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> well, that's
1: because they're all brown. Games. They are not all brown. <laughs> but, sorry, deep breath. What colour are your room reveals well, then? Well, <laughs> my remit is a very, very exciting new interior design show that I have dedicated myself to filming or some, which is why I've fallen down a bit of a hole. We have designed 12 families' homes in the space of about four months. It has been insane. But the remit really has been about helping people embrace colour, for sure. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) But also unleashing their own sense of style. I'm really interested in helping people discover what makes their home feel and look Fabulous for them because it's fascinating. I think when you start going behind people's front doors and meet them quite often, they are really underwhelming interiors. They're white, they're grey, they're beige. They're not put together. The planning's not there. It's a bit sort of discombobulated. And actually, just helping people come up with the vision, just highlight think it the problems, yeah. think it through, get inspired. And I suppose the big headlines have been a lot of people haven't known how to use the space. That comes up a lot. There was, like, this really lovely woman called Nina who's a lawyer, so she uses a very different part of her brain Mm. to I do, for example. (laughs) And she just said, she's a really busy career woman, two kids, and she was like, all my houses, I've just painted them white and bought grey sofas, Just job done, haven't even thought about it. And she was kind of intrigued to know if there was life beyond white walls and grey sofas. Like, what would that look like? She, And that's why she sort of reached out and asked for my yeah. help. And it was so interesting. So when I met her, she was in this fabulous dress. Her makeup was incredible. Loads of colour. So I was like, let's have a look at this wardrobe then. And I opened her wardrobe and there was just all the rainbow, all the embellishment. There were sequins, there were pom-poms, there were tassels. And none of it in her house. She just never made the connection that yeah. you can have colour in your wardrobe and then also, yeah, color, yeah. you know, she hadn't made that link. And actually she was Anglo-Indian and she just brought it up actually. She was like, I'm quite interested in exploring my Indian heritage. She said, for example, I love block printed fabrics. And so then I was off <laughs> and it was just that little spark. It's just like, yeah. uh, oh, so that's something we can explore. And then that was just the touch paper to her whole scheme. And she ended up going on an enormous creative journey of self-discovery and It was wonderful and just completely blossomed. So I can't wait for you to see that one. The reveal on that will be amazing. Because that'll be like going from black and white telly to colour telly. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. clearly. So that's just sort of one example of how you know we've helped people understand. So it's not about me coming in with my look. It's helping people and but everybody, everybody who applied to be on the show was looking for a a colour transformation. So you are And when's it on? They're hoping in the new year. But we haven't got a name. Most asked questions. What's it going to be called? Sophie's Sofas. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't got a name. So if any of the listeners out there have got any ideas of what to call my new hit (laughs) TV interior design tv show self-fulfilling prophecy nothing wrong with that absolutely then yeah please message me or why not chat about it on the facebook group so don't forget you can send us questions comments or ideas for
0: sophie's sofa show and generally keep us updated on everything via instagram where i'm mad about the house and she's sophie robinson interiors and for more interiors chat do head over to our joyous facebook page the great indoors
1: podcast Now, for our next topic, and I am delighted to welcome back my very own husband, Tom, also known as the Builder Husband. Hello, darling.
2: Hello, sweetheart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hello there, Mr. Pike.
0: Hello, sweetheart. (laughs) That's a a sweetheart in my life. (laughs) So Tom, sweetheart, last (laughs) came on the show as part of a discussion about getting the best out of your builder, which proved wildly popular with you all. And I'm frankly not surprised because it is an eternally fraught and mysterious topic. Anyway, Tom is not only a builder, he's also dedicated to sustainable and environmentally responsible building. And we felt that as COP26 is going on in the background as we record, it would be time to bring him back and hear some more about Ecofix's big And small for your home. And this comes on the back of news that heating our homes, generating hot water, and powering our appliances means that around 22% of the UK's carbon emissions come from our homes. But by making a few simple changes, you can reduce your family's personal carbon footprint by around 25%. So, Tom, tell us through some of the ways we can do this. I'm all ears, sweetheart.
2: Well, I mean, we all have to look at it from a different angle, don't we? Because we've all got different amounts of money, we've got different houses, we've got different things going on in our lives. And so it's what are you in the position to take on personally, I suppose. If you want to start working on your house, uh, when I was surveying people's houses, a lot of people would say to me, oh, I I want to put solar panels on the roof. And I'd say, well, let's have a look at your windows first and see whether your house is draft proofed. A really simple, quick, easy fix compared to some of the bigger things like putting solar panels on or installing batteries and changing your heating system, changing the fuel that you use for your heating system. And it is the first thing to go to for small amounts of money to create a, a large effect. And there are great systems and great companies out there that specialize in this. So you can Google, you know, if you've got old sash windows, just Google sash window refurbs in your area. There's a lot of one-man bands. There's a lot of larger companies that specialize in this. There's another good company. um, There's several companies out there. But if you're quite handy and you like to get involved with DIY yourself, go to readyseal.com and you'll see just a huge array of things to draft proof sash windows and casement windows, really clever devices and crack on.
0: How are your drafty sash windows? My sash windows aren't too bad. I'm sure they could be better. But it's the doors. None of my doors fit properly. And there's great howling gales underneath yeah, them, well, particularly my front door. And we put one of those brushes that you can attach to the bottom of the front door. Mm. But it's not long enough. So now we have a draft excluder, which we push up. But it's not ideal. But a new front door is really expensive. So
2: Yeah, you don't need a new front door um, usually. Again, there's in. Individuals and companies who specialise in this, loads of innovative ways of installing brushes into your existing doors. So you can router lines into the actual existing door rather than on the frame of the door, and those then create a nice snug fit as you push the door into the frame.
0: So your, your point at this stage is before you start thinking about spending lots of money on external things – deal with the structure you've got. So we've done doors, windows, roof, I'm assuming insulating the roof Yeah, or so
2: exactly. I mean, it's like some people don't have lots of money to spend, So, but they do want to do something. So that's a really good way forward. Insulating your loft, you know, I think the stat is, that so, you know, on average, 40% of the heat of a house goes up through the roof. If you can put 300 mil of rockwell insulation in your loft and make sure it's fitted well, all of these things, if they're fitted badly, they... Pointless. Pointless, yeah. What
1: about floors? What about drafty old floorboards? I mean, again, Kate, I'm thinking of your house. You've got original floorboards and a lot of rugs are quite (laughs) draughty. Yeah Yeah.
2: so I mean when you're looking I suppose I I sort of focused on the windows but when you're looking at draught proof in a house you look at all of these things because it's exactly that it's you know do you have funnily enough do you have holes in your walls there are some Victorian houses where they put vents into your wall which would be letting a draught through. Now be a little careful on that front because if you have had wood burners fitted or you do have wood burners they do need a certain amount of ventilation that the wood burner can suck into your house and sometimes that's so that problem is solved by putting vents in your wall so yeah and then floors if you do love your victorian floorboards and you haven't put additional layers on top of that which will obviously solve a lot of the draft proof problems there is a rubber strip that you tuck into your floorboards, it just tucks up into the gap and works wonderfully. (laughs) One thing
1: I think people worry about, they worry about ventilation and air circulation in their home. So there's one thing kind of like sealing up all the drafts. But one of the problems that's arisen from us having a lovely airtight home is humidity especially in winter and we don't want to have the heating on in all the bedrooms that we're not using all the time. So what I was noticing is last year our guest bedroom started getting a bit damp um like little oh. black moldy spots around the window and stuff and well, I've actually that's a
2: that's a separate problem again And you're exactly right. You don't want a absolutely sealed house, which is what we've got. But the reason why we've got an absolutely sealed house is when they put our UPVC windows in, they put them in without any trickle vents. And you can have trickle vents retrofitted into some UPVC windows, but I'm struggling to see how we can have them fitted into ours. So at some point, I will try and fit them.
0: For people who are now listening and looking at their UPVC windows, how would they know if they've got trickle vents or not? I mean, is Um, it that obvious there's some holes? It's very
2: obvious. So basically, above the windows, there will be a little thing that sort of sticks out a bit. And that will be hopefully a trickle vent. As you can see, looking at our windows, You've we got haven't nothing. got them. Yeah, window companies just shouldn't be fitting these UPVC windows without them. They are pretty much standard with new windows now. So for me, getting back to the sort of trying to do the right thing environmentally and move things forward is just always look for the low line fruit. What is the Maximum effect you can have in your life for what you can afford at the time or what you can do at the time. So, we went down the electric car route because I'm obsessed with electric cars and also just anything you can do to get off fossil fuels is the way forward. So, we've done that. Now, the next thing is we're still on oil here. So The next big thing is to stop using oil. So we're putting an air source heat pump, which can run on radiators, but you have to have very big radiators. If you only had radiators in your house, then I'd get a lot of advice from experts before you go putting an air source heat pump in to know whether it's gonna work or not. We've got underfloor heating on the ground floor, and then we've already got quite large radiators on the first floor. Quite often we don't even have our radiators on on the first floor. So the air source heat pump will heat water very efficiently from 45 to 50 to 55 degrees, something like that. Radiators normally run at 75, 80 degrees to heat your house up.
0: And can anyone have one of those? I'm going to get the words in the wrong order, but sort of source heat
2: pump. Air force heat pump. There we go.
0: Can anybody, (laughs) I mean... Is there a sort of rough guideline as to what it might cost and can anyone have one? Again, uh, everybody's budget is different. Yeah, but.
2: exactly. So if you do need to replace your boiler or upgrade your system, then please do ask the question of whether you can have one. And
1: it's worth mentioning as well, the government are doing a big push on this at the moment with grants yeah, stuff on yeah. there? There's so, a lot in the news at the moment about this very topic.
2: Yeah, the government have a new grant system coming out, which will be a £5,000 single payment towards your air source heat pump. There's probably a system for ground source heat pumps as well, which are different, but most people would be looking at an air source heat pump. There's also electric boilers that could be looked at. There's also electric underfloor heating that can be looked at. You do need a bit of space for an air source heat pump. So you need somewhere to locate it outside. It can go on a roof. It can go sort of in your garden, that sort of thing. And what that does is it actually sucks heat out of the air outside and puts it into your house, sort of the opposite of what a fridge does. And they run down to very low temperatures outside. So even if it's minus five, minus 10, it will still be working fine. Uh, Apparently the prices for an air source heat pump can range from something like seven to 13,000 for sort of fairly normal houses. If you've got a mansion, it will be a lot more (laughs) Skyrocket.
0: Let's talk wood burners because they're hugely controversial. I had one fitted a few years ago and was told that it was suitable for EU standards up to 2023 and beyond. And yet people still get quite exercised about wood burners. So
2: so there's a bit of a misunderstanding, I think, going on. Burning wood is not burning a fossil fuel. So wood can be considered to be a green source of energy. What we have to get away from is burning fossil fuels. So that's
1: like coal fires. Yeah. Well, okay. coal, Don't oil, coal- anything
2: that was created millions of years ago and is carbon that is stored in the ground and we are now taking it out of the ground and burning it and releasing that carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and it hasn't been in our atmosphere for millions of years. So that's the problem. When you're burning wood, you're se- by the wood growing, by the tree growing, you're sequesting carbon out of the atmosphere. You're taking carbon out of the atmosphere, putting it into the wood. And then when the wood decomposes or you burn it, you are releasing the carbon back into the atmosphere. So in effect, it's a carbon neutral process. It's not Entirely carbon neutral because it depends where the wood comes from. If you go to your local garage and buy some wood, it's quite often been shipped in from abroad. It's quite often been treated with various chemicals. It's obviously wrapped in plastic. So you couldn't say that that is a carbon neutral process. If you're getting wood locally sourced, make sure it has to be dried. So when you're burning, the other good point is people get a little bit confused between the particulates that are put into the atmosphere by burning wood and the greenhouse gases that are released by burning fossil fuels. The particulates, particulate matter, tiny little particles that are released into the atmosphere by burning wood in a wood burner or by an open fire, that creates pollution. That's a different thing to greenhouse gases. So that's where a lot of the confusion can lie. Modern wood burners are now being made and up to various standards where they are something like 90% more efficient at burning the fuel and not creating the particulates. And from 2022, all wood burners are going to have to be environmentally friendly designed, um, eco-design I think they call them. If you've already got a wood burner, doesn't mean you're going to have to replace it, it's just with all new wood burners that have been fitted. But obviously a great thing to do if you can, would be to upgrade your 10, 20-year-old wood burner for an eco-design wood burner, especially if you live in the cities, so that you're not throwing particulates into the atmosphere.
1: I love the way Lucy's getting it. She's fully involved in this conversation. Can you yeah. hear her? I, I'd like to think that's snoring, but actually I think she's just nodding in agreement. To yeah, I thought it was saying. my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> there she <goes> again. <laughs> she's concurring with everything. Um, so I know a lot of our listeners are renovating properties, doing self-builds, doing extension. And you know, it's something that we've really thought about with the renovation of our home. But sort of headlines to give people ideas of what they could be researching. It's just a wonderful opportunity, isn't it? If you are at the renovation stage or the build stage to think about future-proofing or indeed coming up with a power system, be that heating your home, running the lights, warming the hot water... What are the things that people can be looking at rather than just whacking a gas boiler in?
2: Okay, yeah. So let's get away from fossil fuels. Let's get away from gas boilers. Let's get away from oil. All of those things. Look at air source heat pumps and the whole system involved with that. If you've got larger property with a big garden, you can also look at ground source heat pumps and there's government help. With grounds for that
1: And that's where you take heat from the ground You're yes. literally sucking the warmth from... The earth core.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and there's a couple of different systems of ground source heat pumps. There's ones where you lay the pipes about six foot underground and you need a very long run of pipes and you need almost a field to put them in. There's another system where you do pile driving into the ground many, many metres down and there's a pipe that drops into the ground and comes back up again. The other things to think about if you're wanting to really make a difference is just give your money to a green electricity supplier you know ecotricity good energy oh there's there's quite a few of them out there now that just creates more and more demand for green energy and puts more and more money into their system so that they can do more solar panels and more wind. And turbines. solar panels,
1: wind turbines. I mean, these are other things
2: that people yeah, so can at. You surely
1: can't have a wind turbine you in your garden. You can. I've got friends who've got a wind wind turbine. Oh, actually, Winds, they are farmers. To wind, be fair. Turbine, yeah. <laughs> okay. wind turbines
2: are really hard to get planning permission for because the planners don't like them. And actually, they're, they're not brilliant on a small scale. I'm
0: seeing lots of solar panels in my in my city house in London. I'm starting to see more yeah. solar panels in the surrounding so, street. Solar
2: panels used to have to be massively subsidised to make them worthwhile. So you'd get a big payback from the government. That's all stopped now because solar panels have come down massively in cost. So you do get a payback quite quickly, sort of five, six, seven years, you can pay off your whole system by the amount of electricity that it produces. So that's something to look into. I would say that solar panels and battery storage are at the end of the line of all of these things, in my view. First of all, get your house right, get it draught proof, get yourself onto green electricity suppliers. Insulation, obviously, if you're building, renovating, get as much insulation as you can in at that stage. And then if you can still go that extra mile, look at putting solar panels and maybe some battery storage in. And if you are doing any sort of renovations nowadays, I personally think you should put in fuse boards and systems that basically future-proof the house for having electric cars in the future. So just even if you're not going to install systems for charging electric cars, just make sure that the provision is there. There's enough space on the board to have them later on.
1: This is all great, but I am aware as well that this can feel really overwhelming. It's really really expensive. So my advice would be if you are in your forever home or if you are in the process of renovating your home, Just think about future proofing and it might be that you can't switch your boiler or your heating system at the moment, but you might be able to put in things like underfloor heating systems or put in the right fuse board or electricity systems to support, I don't know, like a car charger or an air source heat pump at some point. So just plan ahead and maybe spend and save as you can, because ultimately this is what's going to happen. We are going to be driving electric cars and we are going to be coming off fossil fuels.
0: Thank you so much, Tom. There's so much to think about there. I'm off to buy some rubber sealant for my floorboards. (laughs) And if you have any more builder questions for Tom, why not send them to thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com and we might even do a style surgery dedicated to building-related queries. On with our style surgery, which is back and which today is all about flooring. This is from Marie in London. My design dilemma is the flooring in my attic. The house is a small, narrow Victorian railway workers' terrace, and the attic is one room with a sofa bed for guests, okay, and two cats. My sewing and working from home space, etc. A typical multifunctional room. Currently, it's the same carpet in attic, first floor, and both sets of stairs – but it needs replacing. I'm wondering about a luxury vinyl for the attic as it's easier to pick up pins, threads, cat floof, technical term, (laughs) etc. And I can add rugs for coziness, but I can also sling them over the banisters when I'm messy. However, I do want carpet on the stairs and bedrooms as it's better for the noise, etc. But where do I make the join? Is there a special rod barrier thing? Some of the samples I've seen don't look very pliable or will it just look awkward, whatever I do? In which case... Any other suggestions? Many thanks.
1: This is a really common problem, Marie. And actually, in my home, I've got a tiled hallway, which moves into painted stairs with a woollen stair runner, which then goes into a seagrass, at the top of the stairs. This is it, isn't it? I think it's not just the difference between the attic. It's all over our houses. Mm. We
0: have different floors. I mean, I've got floorboards throughout, but I have that quite dramatic spotty stair runner, which goes up the stairs, but we didn't want it over the landings as well as we felt that might be a bit much. So on a flight of stairs, you have the riser, which is the upright bit and the tread. I stopped it at the top of the riser mm. so that it goes up to vertical. And then on the staircase, there's usually a little sort of nose, which it tucks under. And then we've gone floorboards on the landing and then started again going up the next floor at the bottom of the riser. So I sort of feel with stairs, there's a natural place to stop and start. But between well, rooms it, on the same level, it it's, can be... It's
1: tricky. So we, we did have a bit of a problem um, that Marie's got where... Our wool runner stopped, as you said, at the top of the riser underneath that little bull nose. And then that's just painted wood, which works because either side of my stair runner is wood. And then the sisal starts at the top because the problem I've got is a natural flooring like seagrass doesn't fold under the bull nose. It's too thick. And I think you might have a similar problem with your vinyl not being, it's just not designed to go on stairs. It's not bendy, is it? And the other problem is that you can get what they call thresholds.
0: I mean, I think they're better now, but they used to be sort of horrible, shiny, mm. brass, metallic things, which didn't necessarily fit in your house. Oh, they're you still going strong. Get, <laughs> they are still going strong. But you can also get wooden ones now. There's mm. a bit more of a choice and it can just often be as simple as as having a sort of finisher. It's a, like the sort of skirting board, isn't it? The skirting board was traditionally there to hide the join between the plasterwork on the wall and the floor. And a threshold does the same thing on a horizontal plane. So you're covering up the edge of one floor before it goes on to the next one.
1: Yeah, it's got a practical thing. I mean, I think from my point of view, your threshold should never be a design detail or something to draw the eye. No, It should just disappear. So if you can match it into the colour of your flooring. So for example, we've got a an oak threshold because it's a very similar colour to the seagrass. So you don't really, really see it. If I got a really blingy, shiny chrome one, then it would be really obvious and jump out so I just think about that I I suppose and maybe it's the you're going to I love the idea of going for a vinyl or a lino in the attic I think that's really sensible idea especially since it's a workroom and there are just so many brilliant designs out there now isn't there for I'm that just going to make floring. the point
0: that I think the two terms are often interchanged Lino linoleum is made from natural and renewable materials, including linseed oil, cork, and wood. Vinyl is man-made and synthetic, so it can be a byproduct of the crude oil industry. So be aware of what you want on your floor and look for the right one, the vinyl or the lino.
1: Yeah, they give a similar effect. It's a very, very flat floor. It's a roll-out material, isn't it, that gets stuck down. But I suppose what you're saying is there is a slight eco impact from there's one choice to one another. an eco one and a non-eco one. You often find
0: that there's much more choice of pattern in vinyl because they tend to create the print by photographing it on so you can get incredibly intricate patterns and bright colours, whereas lino might be more likely to be a sort of basic check or plain And they colours, tend to be more less.
1: natural colours too, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: but I think you're absolutely right in terms of picking up pins and sweeping up cat floof, then, uh, <laughs> yes. then I think that's a good surface to have. And I don't think there's any problem, you know, find the right threshold for you and then you can bring the stairs down and absolutely, as the mother of two teenage boys, you definitely want carpet on your stairs. <laughs> that's a real noise issue. <laughs> I've got friends who have painted a stair runner the sort of effect. So it's got a coloured stripe coming down the middle of the stairs and it
1: looks great but, but it's they very don't have teenage
0: boys. It's really noisy.
1: I think one of the advantages to having a stair runner rather than a fitted carpet on your stairs is that I think it allows you to play around with different flooring yes. a little bit more easily. If you've got a fitted carpet on your stairs I think that does need to then match into the flooring that it bleeds on into, be that on your first floor or on your hallway or your landing or whatever. But there's something about a stair runner that I think can be a little work of art on its own so for example in my house I've got the blue and white and caustic tiles in the hallway that then turns to a bright pink stair runner and it's just its own little statement piece and I think because it's painted either side and not fitted to the edges you can get away with it being something on its own rather than a fitted carpet that then just rolls around the whole house. And I've got similar, I suppose, because I've got white
0: painted floorboards throughout with just the spotty runner, just you see it on the stairs and then it goes back into floorboards. So I think you can absolutely have fun with your flooring and I think you can, I think the key point, Marie, I would make is that you can have all the different flooring materials and textures that you want in your house but you've just got to research your thresholds because you need to look at how you're going to join them together.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good idea to talk to your carpet fitter. Usually a carpet fitter will come to your house to measure up before ordering the floor and ask them to lay the floor in such a way that you don't need any thresholds if it's a continuous pattern. Because sometimes what happens if you've got a carpet that's got like a, doesn't even have to be a pattern, it's just got a grain like a stripe or in our case, it's got a herringbone design. Often carpet fitters are measuring up to help you order as least flooring as possible, which saves you money, win-win. But Mm. for me, that's no good if then the stripe or the herringbone design or whatever is then conflicting from room to room and then they have to whack a threshold in to create a join. And it's just really bothersome and unless you brief your carpet fitter from the get-go and say i want the grain of the carpet to be fluid throughout it therefore not needing any thresholds it just looks so much more pleasing well and again if you're running it
0: throughout the whole of one floor you might find that you know you don't necessarily as you say want the join dead on the door where it's obvious it might make more sense going with the pattern have the join somewhere inside the room where it ends up under a chair or under a piece of furniture. So you don't notice it that way, but you've got a seamless run out from the bedroom onto the landing, which is where you really would notice it. So it's as usual, taking the time, ask the question, do the planning. Thanks so much for that question, Marie. That was a really great one. The email address in case you have a style or building-related question for us on style surgery is thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. Just drop us a line
1: and ideally a voice note too. And do check out our blogs for more details on what we've been chatting about today. You can find mine at sophierobinson.co.uk or kateismadaboutthehouse.com. And of course, if the joyous return of the show should move you to leave us a review in your podcast app, we would be more than delighted. Thanks so much to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective. And thank you to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors.